The reading this morning is Mark 8, 27 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake and for sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels. So, in our story today, Peter kind of gets slapped back pretty hard uh, by Jesus. Uh, calls him Satan and tells him that his things, you know, he's thinking about human things when he should be thinking about godly things. Uh, and what was left out here is the, the verses right before this story, Peter was... Peter was looking good. He had, uh, everyone was answer, answering the question, who do people say that I am? And some said Elijah, some said John. But Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, that, Matthew adds that, but in, our, in Mark, he just says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus wants him to be quiet about that. But then the very next verse, Peter's not looking so hot. Uh, and I wonder what got Jesus so upset about this. And I think it has something to do with the notion of, of what kind of Messiah G- Peter had in mind. Because Peter had no problem thinking about Jesus as the Messiah. But where Peter seems to get bunged up about is when that reality means it's going to cost him something. In this case, he's concerned about Jesus having to lay his own life down for this idea of being the Messiah. And Peter is like, wait a minute, that can't happen. right? Because Peter has in his mind, wait a minute, there's going to be a Messiah who comes from God who's going to make everything happen. And pretty, and that Messiah will be king. And if I cozy up to that Messiah, maybe I'll be in his uh, you know, cabinet or something like that. right? Uh, and things are going to start looking up for me and everyone else. But Jesus starts talking about suffering and dying and being taken away. And Peter's like, wait a minute, no, 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 no. I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> and then, and so Jesus gets a little worked up about this and frustrated and turns that frustration on the entire crowd and, says, and starts to describe what it's going to take for anyone if you want to follow me. Is that you take up your cross and you follow me. And for Mark, Mark literally meant, take up your cross and follow me into death. Because that's where Jesus is going. 
taking up his cross and dying for the sake of all people. That's the kind of Messiah. And what will it cost you to follow me? Just that you forfeit your life. And then you will gain life. But those who want to preserve their life will lose their life. It's a very confusing thing Jesus seems to be laying on them. But basically it's meaning if, if you think this is a free ride, you're wrong. The life you want for yourself, the life, the, the kingdom of God we've been talking about that you want for this whole world, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. But in return, you will gain more than you lost. And uh, Jesus really lays out the, the template for how this works. Uh, Jesus means take up your cross and follow him. And for, for Christ, that meant following, that for Christ, that meant taking up his cross, dying on the cross, and being resurrected on Easter Sunday. And this serves as a template for how discipleship works. It means dying to the old self and being resurrected into something new. In fact, the earliest Christians were not called Christians. Uh, the term Christian was actually a Latin uh, word that uh, the Romans had come up with, and it means little Christs running around. And it was really a kind of a derogatory term that Christians ultimately appropriated and said, yeah, we're Christians. <laughs> but, it, but it means little Christs. And uh, before that, they were called people of the way. And the way they're talking about what they mean by that is that we die to our old selves and we are born again or resurrected to a new self. And, you know, for a lot of, the, for a lot of us, we think of that, and especially as we're thinking about Billy Graham, uh, who passed away this last week, 99 years old, uh, and, and all the way that... Some of us think of that as a very particular moment when we die to our old self and we, we become something new. Uh, maybe some of us experience it that way, but if you're like me, it's an ongoing process of putting off the things that I need to put off and reacquiring something new or acquiring something new. I'm getting up daily and praying that prayer of dying to my old self and living into my new creation in Christ. The daily effort. And you know, for some of us, it's about that dying to the old self. It is about uh, getting rid of those things that are, are really affecting the world around us or affecting other people, you know. I, I, what comes to mind is the, the, the husband and father whose uh, alcoholism causes him to be uh, belligerent and violent and mean and Finally, one day, it finally becomes enough and he stops and he prays and he decides to do something about it. And he does the hard work. Maybe he goes to rehab. Maybe he goes to AA. And he puts that old self away and never takes another drink and never yells at his kids or has, makes them fearful of him again. 
That's, that's dying to your old self and being resurrected into something new. I also think maybe for a lot of us, it's about just taking stock of our lives and asking the hard question, does my comfort cost someone else theirs? Right? Uh, what is my role? What is my part to play? How am I addressing? How am I contributing to the health crisis, the violence crisis, the race crisis, the, the whatever, pick your crisis that is going on in our world today? How is my life either contributing to that or how can I turn it around and make it so that I'm part of the remedy to that? That's dying to an old self and being resurrected into a new self. I'm, I'm, I, I, there's a story that Tony Campolo tells about a, a man who was, I think he was a lawyer, and working for a corporation that was sucking the life out of you and me and everyone else. And just what an awful job that was. And it was killing him. And he quit that job and became a postman. Uh, and felt like a new man. Just felt wonderful. Like the weight of the world was taken off his shoulders. And he wasn't a very good mailman. He always, you know, it took him, took him three times as long to deliver the mail to everybody because he stopped and talked to everyone uh, that he was delivering mail to. We don't do that anymore, but, you know, this was a few years ago. But <laughs> he stopped and, and knew everyone on his route. And, and on his birthday, the whole, the, his whole route through this giant block party for the postman. Can you imagine doing that? That's the life. That's dying to your old self, a, a life-sucking job that didn't contribute anything but bad things to the world, to, to, a, to a job that most of us think of as, we don't even think about it, you know. Uh, we don't even think about it unless the mail is late or we're expecting a check or something like that. And, and to a job where so many people are affected that they want to throw you a party just for being their mailman, right? That's dying to your old self and living into something new. You know, for some of us, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily what we have, have done, uh, sins that we need to confess or, or repent from, but it's something that's maybe been done to us, that we carry around, that we lug around with us, a guilt that has been imposed on us for something uh, long ago and it affects our lives today shame uh, or, or maybe we've been wounded and hurt and we carry those wound, their open wounds even to this day um, one of my favorite movies is, is Goodwill Hunting if you haven't seen it it has the late great Robin Williams in it as a, as a psychiatrist uh, working with a, a genius kid who's, who's always getting into trouble <laughs> And in one scene, they've, they've kind of developed a relationship. In one scene, he's, he's, they're kind of talking about his, his record. He has a record of his life going from foster home to foster home, beaten, abused. Uh, his parent, you know, before foster care, his parents were a mess. And uh, just all of the stuff this kid went through. And Robin Williams in this scene is holding that folder and he says to Matt Damon, who's the, who's Will Hunting, uh, he says to him, you know, the, this, all this, 
he uses a cuss word. All this stuff is not, it's not your fault. Matt Damon goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's not my fault. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not your fault. Like, I know, I get it. And Robin Williams just starts repeating that, looking him in the face and saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And over the course of maybe 20 repetitions of it's not your fault, Matt Damon first gets angry, then finally just lets it all go. Lets it all out and just sobs, hanging on to Robin Williams' character there. Hanging on as he sobs. As he finally lets go of the guilt and the shame and the self-loathing and the, the things that caused him to be self-destructive and self-sabotaging. Let's it go. Starts to imagine a different life. One that's not in and out of juvie. One that's not, you know, just rolling around with his buddies, making trouble. But one that is expanding his mind and contributing to the world. That is dying to your old self and being resurrected into something new. That is what it means to follow Christ. But it's not a, it's not a free ride. That's hard work, isn't it? Everything I've described to you, whether you're the whether you're in the category of a, someone like the alcoholic who has to do the hard work of giving something up so that they can experience a new life, whether you're the one who has to do the self-examination and start saying, I'm going to drive a, a, I'm going to sell my Humvee and drive something that is a little more gas efficient so I can take care of the globe. You know, well, you gotta, you gotta start doing the hard internal work or whether it's this, identifying that guilt and that shame that we carry around and then laying it down before the cross and giving it over to God and taking up the cross that Jesus has given you and carrying that. It's the hard, that's the sacrifice that Jesus asked for. That's what it's going to cost you. And it's your whole life. It's giving up your old life and saying, this, this isn't the life I want. This isn't the life God wants. This isn't the life that's going to make a difference in the world. And giving that up. Forfeiting is the word that's used in their text today. Forfeiting that life for something new. Something that maybe you never even could have imagined. But something that is a better version of yourself than you've ever thought possible something that that God wants to show you so desperately so that you might have the full and abundant life that God promises. Those who would hang on to their lives, they're going to lose their lives. They're going to lose out on this, the possibilities of all that. The joy and the fulfillment and the sense of purpose and the sense of connection. But those who die and, and, and lose their lives will gain this 
And they will shuffle, shuffle off those, those things that eat away at us, leave us wanting, and leave us desperate and alone and despairing and hurting and not feeling great about ourselves. Over this time of Lent, it's a time to really wrestle with those questions. How do I, what do I need to die from? And what new life does Jesus have for me as we approach Easter? I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up and get ready to play uh, our prayer song. But uh, as they do that, uh, I want to invite us. Over the time of Lent, we're uh, filling up our prayer wall, our wailing wall, if you will, here. Uh, and there should be a piece of paper in your bulletin. If there's not, there's more in the, in the basket around the corner there. But I invite you to, to fill out and answer this question. Uh, I was, uh, what do you need to die to? What part of you needs to die so that you can live? What part is God working on for you today? And again, no one's, no one's going to see these. Uh, you don't have to identify yourself. You can even write a, make a little picture if you like. But this is between you and God, and it's a moment of prayer. And, uh, as we sing, you are invited to sing along and come up uh, as you feel led to place your, uh, your offering and your prayer before God uh, on the prayer wall. Take just a moment.